this morning. We're entitled it, The Presence of Peace. Whether that will be appropriate or not, we'll find out at the end. But I'm rubbish at titles, but I just stuck one in there. So, Presence of Peace. In Ephesians 2, verse 14. Now, there's a line that I'm going to, there's a, there's a, I was reading a book this week um, as I was preparing, and it said in this book, it has been said, the presence, sorry, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but rather it's the presence of of Christ. And in Ephesians 2, it's about 14, says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in the flesh and the law when its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself a new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. So Christ is our peace. Now when you're... But when we look at that, we can say that, but then when we look at peace... A lot of time it's like, well, you could be forgiven for thinking that for someone who, who doesn't have major health issues, they don't really have any financial issues, they are in a stable environment, you know, let's just take, take the family, let's just take the average family, mum, dad, kids, and everything seems okay. You could be forgiven for thinking that they have peace because they have no troubles. But on the flip side, let's just say we've got a family of four. Two kids, two adults, mum and dad. Every one of them has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So you've got a Christian household with four people all accepting Jesus Christ. You could be forgiven for thinking that because all four have Christ, that there therefore is peace in that Christian home. But on both cases, we're wrong. Just because you don't have trouble does not mean you have peace. Just because you have a family of Christians in your home does not mean you have peace. And so God asked me this question this week. Is the presence of Christ in my home? I'm a Christian. You'd like to know. My wife, you'll also be glad to know, is a Christian. My son is a Christian. But does that mean that the presence of God, that the presence of Christ is in my home? The answer is it doesn't mean it is. 
because and I want to talk about this morning I want to focus around the home I want to talk about talk about and focus around the family home because let's go to Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1 it's the only part of Nehemiah I'm using I know we're using Nehemiah a lot this morning, but God started to show me something this week when I asked that question. And what he also reminded me, it was something he said to me a few weeks back. And Em and I have been, the last year or so has been a bit of a a crazy one for for Emi and Jake. Uh, The family situation, you know, we we, we were staying with parents for 10 months and there's all sorts of other stuff going on. And so it's been a very topsy-turvy Thing And I'm in my new house, and obviously when I'm in the new house, I'm thinking to myself, you know, it should be all cool now. I'm in the place God wants me to be. I'm in the home. I'm actually living in it. I have enough rooms decorated to live in it. It's, it's, it's all great. But yet there was something not quite clicking in my home. Something wasn't quite clicking. I'm like, what's going on, God? And he said to me, My presence has not yet been established in this house. Listen, do I, you know, do do I pray? Of course I pray. Do I, do I, do I, do I do do the things I should do? Yeah. But he said, yeah, but my presence hasn't been established in your home. Oh. (laughs) Okay. And it's so easy as a family to think because we all are Christians that the presence of Jesus is manifest in your home. Now we look at Nehemiah, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Eliashib, great name, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuild the sheep gate. They, did, they dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of, hundred, of the hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the tower of Hananel. The very first thing you see the Israelites rebuild was not the walls. We've been talking about restoring the walls, am I, am I correct? So restoring the walls of society, but restoring the walls of the family. But the first thing Nehemiah did, he didn't build the walls. He repaired the gate. Now in Israel, in in, in Nehemiah's Israel, there were 12 gates. Okay, there were 12 gates. I'm not going to list them, it doesn't really matter, but there's 12 gates. But think about this. If I build a wall all around and I had not built a gate, I can't get out and no one can get in. It's a pretty, yeah. It's an impenetrable wall for someone on the outside, and it's you're an absolute numpty if you build a wall inside and stay in it and don't give yourself a gate because you can't get out. So, that, so, so there has to be an entrance point. There first has to be an entrance point. And what was also interesting was who was it who built and repaired the first gate? It was the priests. And what did the priests do? They dedicated it. They dedicated that gate to the Lord. The priests were the people. 
I always do this. I always speak to you and then I look at my notes and repeat what I've just said. <laughs> so there must be a gateway in our home, first and foremost, for Christ to get in. It's okay building walls. That's protecting the wall. But if Christ can't get in, then here's what happens. So it's great that we have gates, okay? So let's just say we built a gate. So you add there is an entrance point for the Spirit of Jesus Christ to get in. But what that also means is there's a presence for a spirit to get in. And it says here in Matthew chapter 12, 43 to 45. Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. Sorry, Matthew, sorry I'll start again. Matthew chapter 12, <laughs> verse 43 to 45. It says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and they live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. You see, we, in our homes, it's great. Christ comes in, saves your life, you, you, you give your heart to Christ, and he gets rid of some stuff. And so therefore you think, I'm all right now. I've got rid of some stuff. I've now got a, I've got a family that we all go to church Everything's, everything's cool. Everything's all right. Everything's, everything's unky-dory because we go to church and we love God. But if, so your house can be clean and tidy. Everything can be in order in your house. My wife hates it when things aren't in order. She stresses about the fact that things are not in order. And Jake and I are just the worst at keeping things in order. And I'll tell you, I've been through... 13 years of training, and I'm getting there. I'm getting there now. When I start, when I, when I empty the dishwasher, I know where the plates go. I know where the cups go. I know where the tea bags are kept. I know where I put the washing. I know where I do all that sort of stuff now. But it's like, I'll just, I just think, I, I'm putting that down there. I know where that is. So when I come back to it next time, I know it's there. But I'm just like, no, that's not the place where it goes. So go and put it where the place it goes. So we can have a, t a clean and tidy house. And I know many of you will say, I've got a clean and tidy house. But if your house is unoccupied, if I leave my door open, my front door open, I have nice neighbours. So I'm quite, I'm, I'm all right to think that for a while, no one's going to walk in and steal me stuff. But if I permanently just keep my house, my door wide open and there's no one in, at some point, someone's going to walk in my home. That is an uninvited guest. And mess up my clean house. Has anyone, ever, has anyone ever been burgled? Right. Has anyone ever seen pictures of people who've been burgled? It's not clean and tidy, is it? It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. They, they just have no appreciation for what you've done. They don't care about your life. They don't care about what your family. They don't care about nothing. They go in there and they go in there to destroy your home and get what they think is valuable for them and they take it. And the enemy is absolutely no different. So it's great. 
But we must recognize that just because we have Christ in our life does not mean he is in our home. Because if there is not a resident in our home, then we allow someone else to come into our into, into the, There has to be a doorway. Because if there isn't a doorway, Christ can't come in. So we have to leave a doorway open. Can we, can we see that? We've got to have a doorway in our hearts. The, the Israelites knew if we're going to build a gate, bring in the materials, bring them out, we're going to have to take out the rubble or, or, or do whatever they've got to do, they've got to have entrances. And we need entrances and portals that we allow Christ to come in. To make a manifest, to be manifest. Not just to be there, but to be manifest and to become a resident, not a visitor in our home. But what we often find is that we, we are a Christian family in name and we are a Christian family in belief. But do our homes reflect that which we profess? In the way we deal with each other, in the way we speak to one another, in the way we respond, is Christ a presence in your home? And what we found and what, what, what we see often with families is that there is a culture that begins to develop in a home. We all say, you know, like when you go to someone else's house and they have tea differently than you do, maybe at a different time, or maybe like in your house, it's just on a tray in front of a TV. And you've got someone else's house and it's all like silver plate service and it's like, this is just normal for us. We, have a, we just have it at a dining room table. Whereas I'm, you know, I'm like a scuffer and have it on my knee. Like I'm, that's why I'm trying to get my dining room table sorted so I can be posh and nice. <laughs> but, and it's, it's, it's kind of like, I remember always as a kid going staying at a friend's house and it was like, I might think, oh, I always have a snack before, I always have a drink before I go to bed and they don't. Or like, that their mum gives like really tiny portions and my mum gives like mammoth portions and it's just like <laughs> and that is true, my mum, honestly. It's just not it's not a place, it's a trough. <laughs> You'll never go hungry at my mum's house. But these there's a, a culture that gets formed, isn't it? And in our own homes a culture gets formed. But if that culture is not a representation of Christ, but you go to church. We still think we have Christ in our home. And if we look at Samson in Judges, in Judges, I'll stop. I will stop flying all over the place in a minute, I promise. But it was just, it was just I want to try and get these things. Before I get to the main scripture that we're doing, I wanted to kind of show you some things. And in Judges 16, 20 to 21, you can just note it down, I'll read it to you. It says, so you've got to understand, this is where Samson is at the height of his power and he's with Delilah. And Delilah's trying to find out the secret to his strength. Yeah, so we all know the we all know where we're at with that one, don't we? Yeah, if you don't, then you really need to read your Bible more. <laughs> um, no judgment, but sort yourself out. <laughs> um, but then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. I'll just do what I do. I'll just do, do, do what I do what I always do. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to the Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding the cord, the corn in prison. 
so many times we take it for granted that Christ, because I'm a Christian, Christ is in my home. Until something happens and then you realize Exactly. <laughs> Comic timing. And then you realize, why is all this stuff happening? Why didn't I see it? Why was I unaware? Why am I being attacked? Why is my home infiltrated? Why is there no peace in my home? And then you suddenly realize, because Christ wasn't there in the way you thought he was there. And if we're going to have a look at building any walls, we want to sort the depths of our family out, we first have to make sure that the one who can keep peace in our home is actually present in our home. Because if you try and deal with issues in your life without the presence of Christ being manifest in your home, then you will find conflict and you'll find all other kinds of spirits begin to manifest in its place. And as a house, we have to be aware of the presence of God in our living room, in our bedroom, in our kitchen, in our garage, in our, in, our, in our back garden, our yard. If we're not aware of when God is and isn't in the place. And I had to have this revelation myself. Because I'm wondering what's wrong in my home and God says you've not yet established it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you because I'm with you. Do I love you? Yes. But I have to do something. It's my responsibility to bring the presence of Christ into my home. It's our responsibility to ensure that, he, and that's why I've got the youth in, it's your responsibility, just like it's mum and dad's responsibility, to make sure that the presence of Christ is, is, is evident in the home. Or we end up being a people like Samson that without realizing it, keep going into prison, keep going into bondage, and I never saw it. I never knew it. I never, I've been dealing, this is how I always thought I dealt with things. This is the way we've always done things. And then when you drill down, your door was wide open. But because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords isn't there, we allow spirits to come in. Now you can be, you can, be, you can feel fine for years. You can feel fine for months. There are people all over this place that will say they've got peace. But it takes one moment. It takes one incident. And everything then, you see what everything is built on. What is my family built on? Have I got sand or am I on a rock? And so, you see, when the disciples were in the boat, and this has got to be the standard. Where's it gone? When the disciples in Matthew 8 were in the boat, we all know the story. They were crossing over to the other side and there was the storm. Yeah? It says, then they got into the boat and a disciple told him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. You see, when Jesus is present, you only have to ask. He's already there. Because 
the disciples followed him. So they were where he was going. So Christ was resident in that boat. So the moment trouble came, even in their weakness, their lack of faith, they could turn to the one. And then the calm was, the storm was completely calm. Now there's another passage, and this is the main passage I want to read from this morning. I don't know how long it'll take me to go through, so we could have an early finish, I don't, but we don't, I'm not promising. And I want us to go to Acts 27. And it's Paul's journey to Rome. Making sense so far? I'd like to just make sure. So before this journey began, Paul warned them. Paul warned them and said, this is not a good idea. But they ignored him. They, they followed their own understanding. They followed the ship's captain and they sailed anyway. And here, I want you to think about the family. When you look at the response, we're going to go through the scripture bit by bit. So it starts in verse 27. Sorry, chapter 27, verse 13. Verse 13. So it says, When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the North Easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head in the wind, into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. When the presence of Christ is absent in your home, then we become short-sighted to what is ahead of us. We only look at the now. When Christ is not in your home, we become short-sighted. Everything's okay now. What do I need now? The winds weren't very good yesterday, so I see the first wind and I go for it. I see the first opportunity I get for a job or for whatever it is, and I go for it. I see the first opportunity to escape from home, and I go for it. And it can be a calm sea. It can all look lovely. But how quickly a wind and a hurricane can come. How quickly in a moment our families can be turned upside down. And when you're not ready for it, look what happens. When the presence of Christ is absent in the home, then we easily give up control of our, to our present situation and allow, us, allow ourselves to be carried along with it. When all of a sudden the wind comes and Christ is not in your midst, you have no power to push where, it, where, where you need to go. So as soon as that wind comes in, and takes you off, you give up easily. So many parents I see, when their kids start to be a bit rebellious, they just let them go. Well, you can't talk to them. There's no talking to kids. When husbands and wives are having, where there's, where there's issues of contention, they just, oh, well, well, we won't talk about it. We'll just let it go. Because we don't want anymore. We want to keep it all peaceful in the home, all nice. So we don't talk about it. When relationships in our home start to get, start to, you start to see certain behaviors. Oh, it's okay. 
they'll be fine. They're just experimenting. They're just, it's just so many individual circumstances we can just allow to go because it looks okay because it's getting them out of my way. It, or it's, it's making life easier for you in that moment. It's not what's right. It's what's easier. And as soon as that happens and then something difficult comes up, our ability to push back is reduced because you're pushing on your own. Because Christ is not in the center of your home. There is no presence, but there's also no presence to warn you. There's no warning. There's, what do we talk about when, when, Pastor, when we spoke about, and we have spoken about a prophetic watchman? The Spirit gives you eyes to see beyond. You see beyond the current pattern. See, if I rely on my mobile phone... It tells me it's going to be sunny tomorrow. I have absolutely no idea whether it will be or not. Because it will probably rain. And then it will be snowing. And another thunderstorm. I can't rely on the app. But in the spirit, I can rely on the eyes that God has given me. I can rely on that which Christ is showing us as ahead. But if he's not in the midst, then you're not even looking beyond what you're seeing right now. I'm earning all, the, I've, got a, I've got a friend, they're earning money. He's in a high-risk job, but he's earning really good money. So they've remortgaged their house to the hilt so they can do it all up. Well, while we've got the money, let's do it. How many times do we make decisions? Because everything's all right right now. So let's just take a risk and go for it. Not put much thought into it. It's what I want. It's what I need. It's what makes things better in my eyes. But when the presence is absent, we easily give up control. How can you build anything if you easily give up control when someone or something else comes into your home? It says, as we, and in, in verse 16, 17, as we passed to the lee of a small island called Coda, uh, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the man hoisted it aboard. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of the of the situs they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along you see when the presence of christ is absent in the home it quickly dissolves into a state of chaos and instability fear begins to take hold and we make drastic action with little thought these sailors were not, they just started doing whatever they had to do. Let's just do this. Let's just try this. Let's just throw this over the board. Let's just do what we've got to do. Because all of a sudden now, there's no calm. There is no peace. Because Christ is our peace. But Christ isn't there. So something else is. And so our family deteriorates into chaos. I mean, who's ever had an argument and one person makes one comment, and before you know it, it's a full-blown war. In that conversation, is Christ present? No. So you've got to think about your home. I want you to be thinking about your house when I say these things. Because this isn't about, it might be generic, because I'm not going to try and give every single potential situation that you might find in your home. But how easily. I had it with Jacob. The other week, he's not here, is he? He's in the other room, that's fine. And <laughs> he was bored. Let's just put it like that. He was bored. And you know when your kids are bored and you go, 
why don't you go and play on your Xbox? Why don't you go play with your train set? Why don't you go up, uh, knock on ne- next door to your friend's house? Why don't you go and watch a movie? Just, there's just no pleasing these kids, is there, these days? They've got every gadget gizmo and every option in the world, and yet they're bored. Can we go to a shop, Dad? Jake, it's a Sunday afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Nowhere's open. Oh, 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 oh the shops are stupid. Yeah, I know. And somehow it's my fault because I, I don't dictate when the shops are open. Right? And then you tell them, and then, and then it's always, we well, could go do your own work. <laughs> That's the best one. <laughs> you go do your own work, son, because you know you've got loads of that to do, don't you? And that's it. And before you know it, but you know what is the thing, though? The peace of Christ isn't in the room. It's not only him who goes nuts, it's me. A sign of wisdom is how you, how you deal with immaturity. So in our house, I wasn't mature. I just started poking the buttons because he was doing me head in. Because it was like, you're ungrateful little thing. So that's it now. I'm poking your buttons. And I started, I went down to his level then. And then it all escalated again. And then was just sat there because I'm always just, she just sits there and just stays calm. And, I'm, and we're just at each other. And before you know it, it escalates again and escalates again and escalates again. And then he starts saying things that are rather inappropriate. And then that's when, like, you know, the, the, the hand of Thor comes out. And it's like, get to your room. And then he stomps up and then everything's being chucked everywhere. And it's one of those kid tantrum moments, yeah? And there was no peace in the house of Duffield that night. No. <laughs> there was, it can, it happens and I'm not just talking about is the presence of God. If the presence of Christ is established, something your spirit must be able to activate to say, I've got to change the way I, I react. It's not just shall we make big spiritual life-changing decisions. It's the small decision every day. If Christ is in your home, then it should affect the atmosphere in every room, in every conversation. So what I had to do was even though I didn't cause the argument, I just contributed to it. I had to go and make peace. But when I made peace with my boy, I allowed him to speak. And then I found out why he reacted. He reacted specifically to something. He made a comment and we laughed because it was a quote from a movie. But he wasn't quoting a movie. It was just him. And I said something which triggered something in him and he went absolutely crazy. But only when I brought Christ into the atmosphere. He then told me what it was. And then the whole thing changed. And the atmosphere of our entire home changed. And it didn't just change it for that one moment, it changed it for days afterwards. Something just changed. I remember my dad once, I remember. For for those you don't know, I I didn't even apply to college because I thought I was going to fail. I, I failed all my mocks. You know the ones you take in January before the main GCSEs? I thought they were all gone. I thought, I, I don't know what happened. I just didn't pass anything. So I thought, I'm going to fail all my GCSEs. Why even bother going to college? Because I'm not going to get in anyway. But I surprised everyone, and I did. I passed almost, almost all of them. Except maths, because that's for the devil. <laughs> six blinking, I've got six GCSEs in maths, and not one of them is above a D. Stupid, stupid subject. 
And I work in a bank, but yes, it's the eternal sense of humor of God. <laughs> Don't you love God, eh? <laughs> Makes me work in a bank. But anyway, <laughs> so I got to college. First two, I went to this just, I went to a different kind of college and it all went wrong. So I had to go back again. And God wanted me to go to university. Not just, don't, don't, wanted me to redo my code so I could prove to myself I could do it and I wasn't faking a failure. But my dad and my mom always have dreams of your kids going to university, don't you? I went to private school. My parents sacrificed a lot of money to make sure I, went, I was privately educated. I got the best education I could to ensure I would have the best opportunity. And I was accepted. So I applied for university and I was accepted at the University of Manchester. So it's great. So I was, I just let, I was like, that is, that is the triumph. There it is. I got, and then when I got the right, the right A-levels, it was great. I'm in. And then I had to tell my dad I wasn't going. I'm not going to uni, dad. What? What? What's that, son? Just, 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 just rewind that one. I thought I heard you say you weren't going to go to a red brick university. And you're going to turn down the opportunity that I've been killing myself for for the last 10 years. Yeah, no, I'm not going, Dad. And I could see on his face, there was a moment he wanted to kill me. Oh, he wanted to kill me. But I don't, and I didn't realize it till, till later. But the reason why I said, it wasn't just that I felt I can't be bothered. It was I thought that God doesn't want me to go to university. It was just to prove to myself I could. The principle was, was, was about me. And instead, I was going to get married to him instead. So it was like, that was what it was. But you tell your parents that, and you can hear from your kids, yeah, but God said, I want you to go. And, he, and in that moment, I saw he wanted to kill me, but then he changed. And as a family, it's so easy to respond in your flesh and out of your desire for your kids, but that's not... The presence of Christ being in that, in that environment. That's you is responding in that environment. And so many family disputes are, are caused because we respond not in the way Christ would, but in the way we have developed a culture of speaking. Because of our own desires. For parents, it's so hard to give your kids everything in your life, but then when they don't make the choices you want them to, how do you then not... Can't you see? But I realized that my dad understood that what I was saying was of God, not just of me. And he had a choice on how to respond. And that's when I began to realize God is in my home because my dad responded in a spiritual way when everything in him wanted to respond in a different way. So we, we continue. But if we don't make, and then, but here's the thing, these guys were throwing everything overboard. They were tying things around. They were doing whatever they felt they could. Because when things don't go the way you think they go, you descend into panic. Then your mind starts to think of all the potential things that can go wrong. And then, you think, and then, there's, then there's, there's no hope. There's fear, not hope, there's fear. So fear comes in. And then it continues in, in, in verse 18. We took such a violent battering from the storm. This is not a small storm. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. 
And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. You see, when the presence of Christ is absent in the home, we allow the things we value to be lost. The value system that we have suddenly goes out the window. Because you're not acting based on what you're convicted by. You're acting on what will fix what I think might fix a situation. So we suddenly lose all control. And the family descends further into chaos. And you're being battered. There are times in our homes when we feel like we're being battered. One thing after another. I, you know, in, in, in a, when, I, when we bought this house, it's just like I'm being battered. Every, it's, it's like if I looked at something, it would break. And it generally did. I descended into chaos. I was thinking, I'm going to have to take two more jobs. I'm going to have to go into the world of crime. I'm going to have to be a bank robber. I'm going to have to do something to pay for this darn stupid house. I'm going to have to blindfold myself so it doesn't break anymore. <laughs> but, but, the, but the thing is that as parents, it's so difficult to remain unchanged in the value system that you know is right. So many parents, to keep their kids happy, change their value systems. Oh, man. It's you, 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 you just give a little bit, and then you give a little bit more, and then you give a little bit more. And the kids are just thinking that's what's best for them because it means that they get to say yes because most young people don't think further than this week. They don't. Sorry, guys, you don't. You know you don't. I've told them enough times. <laughs> Try to train them how to think beyond that, and it's hard. But young people, you also have a responsibility not to cause your parents to compromise on their values, even if you don't always like them. Now, one of the things I'm aware of, and I, and I know this is true, so I'm, gonna, I'm, talking to our, I'm talking to our African congregation now. Because seriously, this is true. Many of you guys, have, you, were, you weren't born here. You were born Zambia, Malawi, Ghana, Nigeria, Swaziland, all over the place, yeah? But you came here to make a new life. So you raised your kids. So you might be Ghanaian, or you might be Zambian, or you might be Malawi, but your kids ain't. Because although they are, they're surrounded by a Western culture. They're raised in Western schools. They have Western friends. They go to a, okay, they go to a kingdom church, but still a Western kingdom church. And so all of a sudden, culture can become a very difficult thing because they don't think the way you think. Because although you were brought up in one culture, they're not thinking like that because they're brought up in a different culture. But you brought them up in it but still expect them to honour what you think is right from your culture back home. You tell me that isn't going to bring some problems in the home. And it's hard. But listen, for all those you, all those you, you know, good England, English people here, it's just the same for us. Even now with Jake, the culture that Jake has is different than when I was a kid. Culture is constantly changing. The expectations of kids are changing. And our family homes are constantly have the ability to be run into rack and ruin. Because all, the, because all of these different ends. But if Christ isn't in the home, we continue to operate 
in the way we've always operated. So we think culturally. We think logically. We think with our own understanding. And you just think, my family's getting battered. But, when, but we abandon the values we hold dear to us in order not just to preserve our kids, but to preserve ourselves. Conflict, selfishness, greed, slander, betrayal, lies, deceit, malice. All of these things can enter. When I work in the bank, I see the way parents speak to the kids. It's disgusting. But then I see the way the kids speak to the parents. And that's also disgusting. But that's the culture in the home. I see kids who swear at the parents who, and, and, and absolutely humiliate them. And the parents don't bat an eyelid. Why? Because it's become, it's, it's become it's a, that's allowed. It's, it's the way it works. So let's, before we start looking at building the walls, there's no walls to be built here until we can start to find the presence of Christ right in the midst of every situation, every conversation. And here it says, verse 27, verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And so we suddenly, that's how someone, that's why we have a tree of tame side, because parents wrote off their kids. We can write off at each other. You can write off your husband, he'll never change. You can write off your wife, she'll never change. You can write off your parents, they're just, I just don't connect with my parents. They frustrate me, they antagonize me, they annoy me. I write them off. I keep them here. Because if I get any closer, it'll, arguments just come. If I get any closer, we know what's going to, if I touch that button, I know it's gonna, there's going to be a nuclear device underneath it. You know, walking around your house is like walking around with a bunch of landmines. You're not sure which bit of the carpet if I tread on. This is family. Because we're Christians, it makes no difference. We still have to live with each other. We still have to, and, each, and if you want to take it outside the home and put it in here, the same issues can be here. We get frustrated with each other's mentality. We get frustrated with the kids. I mean, I had to talk to our young, I had to talk to our, um, challenge our worship team. Our existing worship team. If we want these young people over here to, to desire to be worshippers, then, you, then, you know, it's like if they go, get out, get out, get away, get out, me, kids, get away, get away from the, uh, I don't want to go near there because I'll get shouted at. We have to embrace them. There's going to be a change in our hearts. Mothers and fathers have got to go to their children. Children have got to come to their, their parents. There's got to be something that's different in our homes, an atmosphere that changes. Right, next bit, 21 to 25. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up being them before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Sounds like my mum and dad that I told you so. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, the angel of the Lord God 
whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. You see, when you listen to Luke, that last, who was the writer of this, he said, I think it was Luke, wasn't it? He was writing, he said, we finally gave up hope of being saved. But here's the thing, that was him saying we. So Paul didn't travel alone. Paul traveled with companions. So we can have a house of Christians and most of us have given up hope because we can't see any different. But there was one and his name was Paul and he did not give up hope. So he spoke incorrectly because he was speaking on behalf of the men. There were 276 men aboard that ship. But there was one who did not give up hope because he was crying out to God. And this is just my interpretation, so it doesn't say it. But when an angel of the Lord appears to you, generally it's because you're crying out to him. Paul knew when he got on the ship, he was on a mission. Paul had sight beyond the present trouble. So Paul was at peace, even though there was a 14-day-long Storm. Now you can imagine. Now, I, now my wife gets seasick. She gets travel sick. She gets if she's in the back of a car for too long and she can't see where she's going, she gets very sick. So she normally sits in the front or in the middle. She likes to be in the middle because then she can see the road ahead. And how do how, if you can't see the road ahead and you're in a storm and it's just battering you and battering you and battering you, you're gonna lose hope and you're gonna start to feel nauseous. But when you know where you're at, you know that what God has spoken over your family, because you're fighting over your family, because you're fighting to keep Christ in your house, in your kids, in you, then you're able to see beyond what is going on and are able to respond in peace. Because when you've got 276 people and 275 of them have all lost hope, it takes a man who will stand out that will be able to say, now, I might have told you not to do this. However, have courage. Keep up your courage. Keep up your courage. Why? Because the angel of the Lord has come in. He came and stood right next to me. And all it takes, like in the boat, is for us to bring the manifest presence of Jesus Christ into the midst of every home. And the entire ship can be turned in one moment. The entirety of our homes can be lifted. Now, I know some of you are not, are maybe the only person in your home who's a Christian, but it only took one. It only took one. One individual. Paul had to, all Paul had to do was stand and cry out to God. And God came and met him. And the presence of Jesus Christ came into that place. And the 275 people on that boat that had no hope suddenly had some hope. Because he responded different. To every other person in the home. Sometimes when there's chaos in your home, one of you has to stand up and act differently. You might be 100% right to be annoyed at your family. You might be 100% justified. But you've still got to take responsibility to bring Christ into that environment. That's the only thing that will re realign hope in your, in your house. That's the only thing that will keep your ship from being destroyed. 
So before we start to talk about building the walls, we can build walls all day long. But if there's no gate for Christ to enter in, then there is no way for us to build anything that will last. There's no way to get out again. And you're stuck in your storm. If you, don't op- if you do not open an entrance point for Christ to come in, then you will stay in your storm. And you will not know peace, whether there is trouble or whether there isn't trouble, because Christ is not present in our lives. So we said, not all had lost hope. But it was Paul. He was the one who brought the presence of Christ into the environment. He was the priest that built the gate that called unto the Lord. We have to be priests in our own home. The, what does the priest do? He brings the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. You know, the other day, last night, in fact, M made a flippant comment to me. No. She doesn't even know this yet. She does. Because I asked her and she responded to me rather harshly. And she was just, guess what she was doing? She was tidying Jake's room. <laughs> That's why. So you can understand she was, in a, she was annoyed. Jake was, out, Jake was, yeah, Jake was out and she was, she was, she was doing Jake's room. So, she was, so I went to ask her something. She was like, what? What is it? I'm busy. I'm like, right, stuff you. I'm going downstairs. And I was like, to God downstairs, I was like, I'm not wrong. I didn't say the flippant comment. I'm right. I said nothing. I am pure. <laughs> and God said, yeah, you might, that might be right, but you still have a responsibility to bring peace. So I went and made her a drink and took it upstairs to her. And she didn't know. But peace was restored and a smile came back to our faces, didn't it? <laughs> She's now realizing what I've just told. I've just told you all. Now, there are many times when my wife has been the other way around and I've been the one. But you know, Em and I were having a conversation. My dad, last week, last week in the prayer meeting, spoke about how you can have a man and a, and, a, and a wife and they can build walls around each other to protect themselves. But if the man's got his wall and the woman's got her wall, then they haven't got access to each other. And if the peace of God, the presence of Christ is not in your environment, then that connection will always remain disconnected. And there's things that Em and I, you know, many of you know that Em and I had issues with our marriage a long time ago. And trust me, it takes a long time to sort it out. And there are consequences of those actions still. I'm free from it, but consequences are consequences. Yeah? And, but we sat down and we just started talking to each other. We turned the telly off. There's a hallelujah moment. Turn the TV off. And we just started talking. And I started to talk about the things that I'm vulnerable with. And Em just started to talk about the things she was vulnerable with. And it was a moment where the presence of God was literally tangible in the atmosphere. Because only when Christ is present can those conversations happen and it be a two-way peaceful conversation. And then we began to realize there were things even now. I'm pretty confident I've got a good marriage. But there were even things that I didn't know were still causing us to not talk about certain things. Because the presence of Christ was not established enough in my bedroom, in my living room, and in the home. For us to have intimacy with our kids, 
there has to be a presence of Christ. So that when you walk into that room, we respond differently. There has to be something that when we respond to each other, the way we talk, the way we approach each other, there has to be something different that causes a different response. And when that happens, that's when lives get changed. That's when the relationships we have with our parents, with our children, become changed. That's when culture no longer matters. That's when opinions no longer matter. That's when history no longer matters. And our homes become a place where as soon as you walk in, there's, a, there's a something about the atmosphere. And there is peace, peace in the midst of any situation. And I really want to encourage us. It says here on the... See, when the presence of Christ is, is found in the home, the ability and grace for all to be saved is there. You, are the, you Paul, stood for the 275 and said, not one of you will die. I will not lose one of you. Because God has allowed us to take our families through. We can take our families through. Just whatever, whatever you think of your home life right now, God can take you through. God can build beyond what you see. All can be saved. If you've got unsaved partners, all will be saved. If you've got unsaved children, all can be saved. The grace of God will be given to you. Because you brought him into the environment and you let him do what he can do best. When the presence of God is found in the home, courage and hope are found. We can have this. And then the last part of the scripture. No, last two parts. It says, I'm going to be as quick as I can. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and footings. The water was 40 and 30. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rock, they draped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, sailors set the lifeboats down in the sea, pretending they were going to lower the anchors. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. You see, when the presence of God Christ is found in the home, there is wisdom to keep the family together. We need wisdom to keep our family together. You might, when your kids are five and six, it's easy because they think you're wonderful. As soon as they get to these guys' age, it, becomes, it can become very difficult. When you're together, if it's, whatever, whatever your family circumstance is, if you want the family to stay together, it requires wisdom. Paul saw what was going to happen. And when the presence of God is found in the home... You can make decisions based on faith that the word of, and the word and stand on the word of God rather than on human reasoning and understanding. We've got to be a people that start making decisions based on our understanding and what we think is safe. We've got to start being a people who make decisions based on faith. Without faith, what? It is impossible to please God. But how is it in here we can have all the faith, but when we're making decisions at home, we use logic and reasoning, human reasoning. We've got to become a people that start making decisions based on faith. Because, that's, because then you only, have, you only have the word of God to stand on. You only have the word. But then you will bring Christ in your midst. Because if he's not in the midst, it can't go anywhere. Because I'm only going this way because you told me to. Paul knew where he had to go. And just so you know, he probably knew it wasn't going to be good. But he had peace to go anyway. He had faith to go anyway. And, and all those, all those sailors were saved. So just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. 
For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. How many of you know what it's like to be in constant suspense? To be in constant, you just can't. You know like when you, you group your fingers, you're tense, and it's been like that every day for how many, how many weeks, how many months, how many years? And he says, you've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. You see, in our homes, let me ask you this question. How many, when was the last time, husbands, that you sat your wife down and told her what, what the, how the word inspired you? Wives, when was, the, when was the last time that you shared with your husbands what God's been speaking to you? When was the last time you sat down together as a family and prayed? When was the last time you sat down together and worshipped? When was the last time you worshipped in your home? And I don't mean singing songs. I don't mean putting some worship in the background because it makes it as a nice ambience. When was the last time you worshipped in your home? When was the last time you sat down and just spoke openly about what you're feeling? When was the last time? You see, it's when you break bread, when you do these things openly in front of everyone then not only does Christ come in, but then it reveals your heart to the rest of your family. When my son sees my heart towards him, his heart totally changes towards me every time, even when we're at loggerheads. In a moment, when I bring Christ in, it changes. We have to be a people where that is natural in our homes. Is the word of God ever spoken in your house? It might be TV. It might be whatever it is you do. But as a family, as a husband, as a wife, when was the last time we put these things in place? We have a responsibility to bring Christ in. And that means not just praying on your own. That means there's got to be something that the family has to be involved in. It's got to be seen to our family. You pray in your prayer closet, that's one great, that's good. That's good. But when was the last time we spoke as a family? When was the last time we stood as a family? When was the last time we shared as a family? When were those, when was that heart released to each other? If we don't have that, then all we're doing is because you might be sweet in your spirit. But if Christ isn't in the home, then your kids bring a different spirit into the home. Or your kids could be fine. And it's you that brings a different spirit into the home. We've got to be so careful. But there is hope. Because when the presence of Christ is found in the home, we are given food that we need to finish the journey. You might be weak. You may have, I've been fighting this for a long time, God. It's okay. Take courage. You ain't gonna, I'm gonna, everything will be all right. The boy's dead on the bed, but everything's okay. I will give you the food you need to, keep, to finish the journey. When the presence of Christ is found in the home, all within it are exposed to it. My son is exposed to the presence of Christ without him realizing it sometimes. Because now I've made sure that the presence of God is established in my home. And Em and I have worked hard to make sure it is. And then we have to make, we have to we have to keep going to keep it that way. When the presence of Christ is found in the home, there can be continuous strengthening and encouragement to do what is required. Jacob is starting school right now. And so I have to continually encourage him and strengthen him to do what is right, not what is popular. It's tough. It's difficult. When we're at work, do we change based on how our 
how our, how our colleagues want us to talk, how we're expected to be. And the last one, when the presence of Christ is found in the home, we know what we must get rid of and when the time is right to do it. See, it's not, you don't just chuck things over. the. Oh, you, chucking over your values isn't what you need to get rid of. But there will be things that need to be gotten rid of in our home. We don't have Sky TV in our house anymore. We made a decision not to take on Sky TV because we just sit there and watch it. There's so many times now I'll look on Freeview and go, it's boring. Yeah, good. Go do something more productive. Turn the TV off and have a conversation with your wife. Go read a book. Go do something else. How many times I go, well, I'll pray after I've watched this movie. And I don't because I'm too tired. Oh, every time I'm trying to pray, I've just got this movie running through my mind all the time because my brain is full of other things. And all of a sudden now I don't have, I don't have, I don't have motivation to do it. Can we? Has this made sense to a few people? Are we seeing this? So let's stand together to our feet. I really believe that Christ is looking for those who will build him a gate to enter into our homes. God showed me, I'm not going to share it this morning, but God showed me every single room in my home represents something, but the front door represents the entrance point. It's a place where I must always welcome him in. The moment that door, I come to that door to open up, what kind of, what kind of welcome will I give my father today? Every day, I must welcome the saviour of my life into my home. Not just into my heart, but into my home. So can we be people who are the priests in our homes, whether you're young or whether you're old, and say, God, I will, I will be a door. I will be a doorway to bring your presence into my home. Can we pray together that, that Christ is established in every home in this house? That in every home, so no matter whose house we go to, we see the evidence that there is a, a living Christ inside our homes. Can we do that? So come on, let's raise our hands this morning. Father, we thank you that you are our peace. We thank you that you, 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 took, you took away, you removed the barrier of hostility. You came and made the two so the two shall become one. So Father, we thank you that each individually we are saved. We can have salvation. But mighty God right now, be the peace in our home. Be the peace in our home. Father God, Jesus, right now, we open the door. Open the door of our hearts, oh God. And say, Lord, come and establish your presence in every home in this dream center. Come and establish your right now. Come on, begin to start to ask him. Say, Father God. Father God, forgive me if I've, if I've become negligent. Forgive me if I've just assumed you're there. Forgive me if I've responded in the wrong way. So God, but right now. Fall afresh in my home. Fall afresh in my home, oh God. Let every room be captivated by the Spirit. Let every, let every doorway be open to you and no other. Oh, right now, Father God. Let every house in this, in this church be established in the presence of Jesus Christ. Oh, Come on, just start to talk to him. If you don't want it, then that's fine. No problem. But if we want the presence of Christ in, Come on, begin to fight for it. Think of your kids. Think of yourselves. Think of your marriage. Think of your brothers and sisters. Think of your siblings. Think of, think of your friends. Think of all these people who will come into your house. Is Christ going to be there? Soon we're going to have students next year from the school. If you're going to be a house parent, you better believe it. The presence of Christ is going to need to be in that home. 
If you're going to have house groups or care groups, you've got to make sure when we bring it in, there's the environment conducive for the Holy Spirit to move. We've got to have this. Oh, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, God. But you know, guys, when, we, when there is an atmosphere of worship in, 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 and Christ is a resident in our home, the great thing is, is you might not be at home. But because he always is, not only does it show him that he's welcome here, but when any other spirit tries to come in, sorry, there's no room here, I'm already here. And the spirit can't get in because he's already there. So our homes are protected. Amen? So can we have righteous homes full of the, full of the presence of Jesus Christ? And therefore, there will be peace in his presence. Amen? Let's give the Lord a round of applause.